this morning, 2 Kings chapter number 6. Let me say what a blessing it is to be back with you in the house of the Lord. We, uh, we went down to Florida for a few days. I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get out of this Tennessee pollen, these allergies. I'm going to go down to Florida. And I'm going to let that, that, that sweet salt air just soothe my sinus. We got down there. I ain't never gone down there this time of year. We always go in the fall. And I don't know what it was, but man, something was blooming out that just destroyed my sinuses the whole time. But I, but I thought it's going to be okay. At the end of the vacation, I said, I, I, that's all right. I'm going to go back to Tennessee. I'm going to escape this Florida heat. But we don't always get what we want, do we? But that's all right. The Lord's good in all of it. Second Kings chapter number six. And it is good to be with you in the house of the Lord today. Let's begin reading in verse number 8. 2 Kings chapter number 6, verse number 8. The Word of God says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down, and that man of God is Elisha. We'll see here in a few moments. Says the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will you not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, Telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord, and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom ye seek. But he led them to Samaria. And it came to pass when they were coming to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And the king of Israel said unto Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? And he answered, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldest thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink, and go to their master. And he prepared great provision for them. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Now let's pray together. Father, we love You. What a blessing it is to be in Your house this morning. I pray that the precious Word of God would uh, be wielded by the sweet Holy Ghost and would speak to the hearts of those that are here 
Lord, we're asking for a supernatural work to be done. It won't be man's wisdom. won't be man's intuition or man's cunning that gets the job done today. Lord, it's going to have to be not by the arm of flesh, but by Your Spirit that anything is accomplished in our hearts and minds. And Lord, that's what we crave. That's what we want. Lord, even if we could do it, we wouldn't want to do it, for we wouldn't do it as well as You would. So Lord, we ask that You'd speak to hearts this morning. I don't know the heart's condition of anybody in this place, uh, Lord, but it wouldn't be surprising in a group this size to know there might be somebody lost and undone. Lord, it could be in a group this size that there's one that is backslid that's away from You. Lord, it could be there's one this morning that is just on the edge, Lord, and they have an eye towards the world and its pleasures. And Lord, we want You to, in all these cases, draw these folks unto Yourself. Lord, reclaim the backslider. Uh, confirm that one that is wavering in their commitment to You, Lord, and save the sinner before it's everlasting too late. We'll be sure to thank You for what's done. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. As we read Second Kings chapter number 6, there are a lot of amazing things transpiring in this passage. But there is a theme, and I'm sure you probably noticed it in the reading of God's Word this morning. A theme unfolds before us. And it is the theme of sight and blindness. When we read this passage, the uh, bands of Syria encamp around uh, where Elisha and his servant are in Dothan. And the old man of God begins to pray and ask God to open the eyes of this young servant that he may see things for what they really are. Can I say this? We ought to be praying God would open our eyes to see things for what they really are. God, of course, does that. Opens this man's uh, eyesight and he can already see physically, but he cannot see spiritually. Well, God opens His eyes spiritually and He sees spiritual things that He has never seen before. Immediately following that, uh, Elisha goes down to the group of Syrians and he prays. But this time he does not pray uh, that a man that is spiritually blind would be made spiritually seeing. But rather, he prays for a group of people that can physically see that they would physically be made blind. And the Bible tells us that according to the Word of the Lord, all the Syrians were made blind. Elisha does something. I, you know, sometimes I chuckle at the Word of God. I, I, I don't know. I, I, would, I think I would like hanging out with Elisha. I like what he does here. Uh, he goes to him and he says, uh, you've done showed up at the wrong place. And he says, I know you thought the sign said Dothan, but you, this, you, that's Dothan, Alabama you just headed to. We said, we're over here in Dothan, Israel. You're in the wrong place. Let me help you find the right place. So here's what he does. He takes this whole group of men that used to be able to see and they were headed in the wrong direction. But now they've been made blind and they're being led in the right direction. He takes them to the land of Israel into the city of Samaria, the capital city of Israel. And he prays now. Now that they're in the right place, he prays and he says, God, open their eyes that they can see where they're at. They open their eyes and look around and realize they done got fleeced. They done got caught. Here they are in the land of Samaria. And you know, I'm sure they thought to themselves, this is it for us. We're done. We're dead. There's no hope. Uh, and the king of Israel looks at Elisha and says, what do you want me to do? You want me to kill him? And Elisha says, no, I didn't, I didn't say kill him. If you had took them captive with your sword and bow, you would not have killed them. Treat them like captives. Feed them. Give them something to drink and send them on their way back to Syria. You say, preacher, uh, that's interesting. I, I'm glad for the update on the Bible story, but what does that have to do with me sitting in East Tennessee today. Well, when we consider the theme of this passage, it reminds me of a few passages in the New Testament. Let me read them to you. Uh, do you remember in John chapter number 9? And you can turn there if you'd like. You don't have to. I'm only going to read a few verses. 
But in John chapter number 9, a very unique miracle takes place. The Bible tells us that Jesus heals a blind man who was blind from his birth. Now that's important. We'll mention the importance of it in a second. This had never happened that a man that was born blind, he has never seen. He's never seen a sunset or a sunrise. He's never seen wildflowers growing in the field. He's never seen tall oak trees. He's never seen anything. Never saw mama's face. Never saw daddy's face. All he has ever known is darkness. And Christ heals this man, opens his blinded eyes, and now all of a sudden he can see. This causes a great uproar in the temple. And you can read through the entirety of chapter 9 in your own time. I encourage you to. It's fascinating. But down in verse 39, something interesting happens. The Lord Jesus says this in John 9, 39. Jesus said, for judgment, I am come into this world. Now, when we think of the term judgment, we think of of it in the term of criticism. We think of someone uh, being critical or, or being judgmental about a person. But that's not what the Lord Jesus is saying here. When we think about judgment in the strictest definition of the term, what it means is to be able to discern things rightly. Let me say this. The Bible tells us that the spiritual man judgeth all things. It's not wrong to judge, but the Bible says we've got to judge righteous judgment. So to judge something is to see it for what it is to assess it for its rightness. So Jesus says, for judgment I am come into the world. Then he explains what he means. That they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. You ever feel like sometimes you was reading the King James Bible and fell off into a Dr. Seuss book? You ever felt like that? What does he mean when he says that? He says, I've come to make people uh, that are blind see, but I've also came to make people that see blind. What does he mean? He says unto them, and some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, are we blind also? In other words, you say you want blind folks to see and seeing folks to be blind. Which category do we fall in? Are we blind? Listen how Jesus replies. Jesus said unto them, if you were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say we see, therefore your sin remaineth. In other words, he says to be blind is to have no sin. To see is to have sin. Here's what the Lord Jesus is talking about. He's talking about how we judge ourselves. And he's saying for a person to proclaim that they are fine, that they see, that they know things for what they are apart from God and apart from His Word, that they're all right. You've seen the bumper stickers. I know you have. I've seen them too. Say, born right the first time. You've seen those. Uh, You know, people say, well, I'm okay and I'm all right and I don't need that. For them to say that is for them to willfully remain in their blindness. But for a person to admit that maybe they're not right, maybe they don't know what's true, maybe they need God's Word and God's opinion and God's judgment on things, that and that alone is the only pathway to being able to see. I think really the miracle he performs illustrates it. Because you stop and think about it. This man's been blind from his birth. For him to come to Jesus and ask for healing was a great display of faith. So how is that, preacher? Well, here's what he could have thought. He could have assumed that the darkness he knew was the only thing there was. He's never seen anything. You with me this morning? I don't, listen, I didn't get that tan. You think I'm somebody different up here this morning. Amen? Come back, tan lines and and whiskers. You don't know what you're looking at this morning. Uh, Help me preach a little bit. I'm saying this. He could have just said all there is is darkness. And there's nothing beyond that. You know what a lost person does? They say all there is is this darkness. And there ain't nothing better. But when a man comes to God, what he's saying is this. You know, maybe the darkness isn't out there. Maybe the darkness is in here. Maybe there's something better than this that I've known. Maybe there's something better than what I'm 
living and how I'm doing and what I know and what I see. Maybe there's something better than what I've got. And that's what this man did. He said, surely this darkness is not all there is. And he comes to Jesus and said, Lord, help me that I might finally see. And what about the Pharisees? The Pharisees looked around and said, oh no, thank you, Lord. We see just fine just how we are. Reminds me of another passage in the book of Matthew. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6? He said in verse 22, the light of the body is the eye. Now what does He mean by that? He's saying that the only way light can enter your body is your eye to view it and witness it. That's how we experience visually the world around us. He says, if therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Now what does He mean when He says single? You ever had double vision? Anybody in here? Come on, help me a little bit this morning. I know y'all got enough age on you. Some of y'all had double vision at some point. Amen. Hey, listen, you ever had, but you know, if you're seeing right, your eyes single. You see one image and you see it correctly. He says, if your eye is single, then your body is, is full of light. But then he says this, but if thine eye be evil. Now, he's not talking about morally evil, although we could say that a person that's lost can only see through unregenerate lost eyes. But when he says evil, he's talking about something broken or something sick. And here's what he's saying. If your eyes are broken, it ain't that it's dark out there. He's saying all you know is the darkness within. Listen to what he says. If thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. Then he says this. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? Uh, I, we'd be out this past week. We'd be, we, I, I like to fish. That's really why I go to the ocean is to fish. I don't go for much any other reason. Fish and eat shrimp. Some say amen. But we'd be out fishing and I'd have my sunglasses on, you know, and I'd be, I'd be out there fishing, I'd be out there fishing, it'd be getting late, it'd be getting late, and I'd be thinking, I need to go in. And I, about halfway back to the house, I'd take him sunglasses on, and I'd realize it was like five o'clock. I just had my sunglasses on. The darkness wasn't out there, the darkness was in here. Uh, you know, when a man is, is born, he's born in a lost condition, and he has a darkness within. He cannot see, he only sees dimly. But let me go a step further. Hey, I could still see, I just saw it darken. Jesus says, if, if your eye is broken, if it, is, if it is ill, if it is unfunctioning, all you see is darkness around you. And if all you see is darkness, how great is that darkness? Can I preach to you on this thought? We're going to get to our message here in a second. Some of y'all got nervous. I want to preach to you on this thought. I once was blind. Hey, but now I see. I once was blind, but now I can see. When we read in the Bible of physical blindness, very often it is a picture of spiritual blindness. And when we come to 2 Kings chapter 6, what we find before us is not just the story of how God gave victory to Israel over Syria. It's not just the story of how God showed chariots of fire to the servant of Elisha. It's not just the story of how God saved the prophet and how God wrought a great miracle. But what we find is a parable for us, or we might say an illustration for us of what God does for a man when He blinds him so that he might see. For instance, consider a few things out of this passage. We'll preach for a few minutes and be done. I want to say, number one, when we read in 2 Kings chapter 6, how does all this begin? Look back in verse 8. The Bible says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place. 
For thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there not once nor twice. Now here in the next moment, the king of Syria is going to start getting suspicious. He's going to start believing there's a spy in the midst because why would you not think there was a spy in the midst? All of a sudden this military intel that nobody knows about except him and his servants have somehow found their way into the camp of Israel. But you know, with the bird's eye view of the inspired Word of God, we've got a better explanation, don't we? Wasn't that there was any spy uh, over there in the camp of Syria. Wasn't there was any mole over there in the camp of, of Syria. It was this, that the good God of glory knows everything that goes on and had His eternal eyes upon what was taking place. You know what it reminds me of this morning? It reminds me of the nakedness of man's life before God. And I say this, there's a lot of folks you can hide things from. You can probably hide things from me. I, I'm not, I, I learned real quick in pastoring uh, that happy pastors don't ask nosy questions. Somebody say amen. I'm going to be honest now. I People will say sometimes, well, you think this person this and that person? I say, I don't think about none of it. Amen. I just try to keep my eyes on Jesus and keep pastoring. I'm sure, listen, there's a lot of things you could probably hide from me. There's probably things you could hide from your spouse, things you could hide from your kids, things that you could hide from your friends. But can I tell you this? There ain't nothing you can hide from God. What we learn when we read this is that there was nothing that the king of Syria did that God did not see. God can see what others cannot see. Well, what does He see? Well, a few things I notice here. One, let me say this, He sees the thoughts of our heart. You know, the king of Syria didn't even have to speak or whisper those plans to His servants for God to know about them before He ever voiced them. God already knew what He was thinking. You know, every single thought of our heart, God is aware of. Now that's a terrifying thought, and I'm aware of that. It scares me to think that God knows everything I think, but we might as well go ahead and just admit it, acknowledge it, and embrace that God already knows what's going on in our hearts. Sometimes a person, uh, through great determination of the will, might for a season have the ability to restrain the outward expression of their sin, but they nurture and they develop and they marinate wickedness in their heart and in their thoughts. And you know, we get to thinking, well, God just don't know about that because people around us don't know about it. How foolish are we? God knows exactly what we're thinking. You might be able to lie to somebody. You might be able to deceive somebody, but you ain't never lied to God and got away with it. You ain't never deceived God and got away with it. God knows exactly what's going on in your heart. He knew this man's heart, the thoughts of his heart. Number two, he knows and sees the works of our hands. When the king of Syria would call his war band in, his war group in, his counselors and his servants in together, they'd all gather in and they'd lock the door and they'd begin to uh, conspire and they'd begin to formulate and they'd begin to strategize and they'd lay out a big beautiful plan of exactly what they were going to do. And they thought they had kept their machinations secret. Here's the truth of the matter. There was nothing they did that God did not see. And there's nothing that you or I do that God does not see. Uh, there might be things that you feel like you've gotten away with. And there's been things in my life that in my foolishness I thought, well, I got away with that. But you know the truth of the matter is there's never been a, anything I've done that I have got away with. Uh, even if it has not been called to account now, there's coming a day it will be called to account. He knows about the works of our hands. Nobody may see you do it, but God has seen you do it. Then I would say this, not only does He see the thoughts of our heart and the works of our hands, but evidently He sees the steps of our feet. Because they would make a strategy, a plan. They'd say, this is a perfect place of ambush. We'll go down to this valley or we'll go and set ourselves in array on this hilltop and we'll set a perfect place. But you know, everywhere they went, God was watching where they were going. 
There's never been a single place. That's why we need to be careful about our testimonies. Uh, listen, I, that's why we need to be careful about the places we go, the places we allow ourselves to be seen. You know, you don't have the benefit of chasing down the person that saw you at the bar and explaining to them that you weren't drinking. You don't have, are you listening this morning? You don't have the benefit of chasing them down in the parking lot of the Cotton Eye Joe's and saying, listen, I know you saw me in there, but I promise you that was just, a, that was an alcoholic free drink. I wasn't getting in tonight. You don't have the benefit. They've done seen you. Your testimony's blown. And you can say, well, I don't care what he wants. That's what people say. They say, I don't care what he wants. Do you care what God thinks? The Bible says, listen, we're to avoid even the appearance of evil. Do you care what God thinks? I know you may not care what others think, but do you care what God thinks? And I'd say this, if you don't care what God thinks, uh, then you're saying you don't care what anyone else thinks don't mean a whole lot. Hey, listen, we ought to care as much about what others think as God cares about what others think. That's not absolute, but it is meaningful. So what do you mean, preacher? Well, God ain't running around popping nerve pills worried about people's opinion of it. But He does recognize this, that people see Christ through our Christianity. And they're watching the way that we're living. Listen, we need to be careful. God sees the steps of our feet. You might have gone places and thought, well, I got away with it. Nobody ever saw me. Nobody ever knew where I went or what I did. But I got news for you. God knew every bit of it. So when I read this, I see that the nakedness of man's life is on display. God says, I see everything that takes place. But then you know what I noticed, number two? I noticed the stubbornness of man's heart. Now, how did the king of Syria... Respond to this. The Bible says in verse number 11, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. You know, I think that's interesting. I, this ain't part of my message, but let me just say it right here. Uh, it's interesting. The Bible says that the man of God was down in Dothan. Uh, and Dothan, the uh, name Dothan is associated with judgment and the law. You know how God reveals to us our wickedness? He does so through the Word of God. That's how He does it. The Bible says this, the king of Syria, he was troubled in his heart. Now, last I checked, Syrians are not Jews. So that makes him a Gentile, doesn't it? He is a Gentile. You know what the Bible says in the book of Romans? The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that for the Old Testament Jew, the law was given, the law of commandment was what God revealed their wickedness through. But the Bible tells us that it wasn't that way for the Gentile. God never gave the law to the Gentile. So here's the law that He gave to the Gentile. Not the law of commandment, but the law of conscience. Isn't it interesting that his heart was troubled, Brother Charlie? You know what that tells me? That tells me that God's messenger of judgment was working in his life. That God was stirring his conscience and showing him that how he was living, what he was doing, was not right. And the Bible says he was troubled by it. But then notice what he says. The Bible says, Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? In other words, where's the mole at? Where's the spy at? You know what never seemed to cross his mind, Brother Ken? It seemed to never cross his mind that it could be God dealing with him. Can I say it this way? You say, what, where do you see his stubbornness? Well, notice number one, he was carnal in his response. He just assumed somebody had done been telling on him. And that must be why he was getting caught. You know, it's a funny thing. I've had people say this to me before. I've had people get mad at me because they thought I was airing their dirty laundry from the pulpit. When truth of the matter is, I didn't even know they had no dirty laundry. They thought I'd been reading their diary. And I, and I, I didn't know what was going on in their life. I, I, I'm not trying to be prideful. Please don't think I am. I got news for you. I do everything I can to keep my head buried in the sand and away from whatever wickedness you people into. If I ring your bell, it wasn't me doing it. One me do. The truth of the matter is, it's the Lord knows what's going on in our hearts and lives. 
as uh, as part of the reason as pastors we and we do try to be sensitive to what's going on in people's lives but I do my best not pry into what's going on in people's lives because I want to be able to preach to you with a clean conscience in holy boldness I want to get up and preach and you to know I ain't getting up here because I know what's going on in your business. I don't know what's going on in your business. But if somebody knows, and that somebody being the Holy Ghost, you better listen because it probably matters. He was carnal. He said, somebody must have been spying on us. But it wasn't nobody spying on him. Uh, Instead, it was the Lord dealing in his heart. And you know, we do that with all kinds of things. I mean, the Lord be dealing with us and the Holy Ghost thumping our heart and working on us. And we'll find every reason that that wasn't God speaking to us. We'll say, well, you know, maybe I just felt a little guilty. Or, you know, maybe I was nervous. It was was hot in the church house. That's why I was sweating. Can I say this? I ain't under conviction this morning. It is hot in the church house. But, but it, it, we, we try to find all these reasons why it must not be God dealing with us. Well, what are we trying to do? We're trying to run from that troubled heart. We're trying to run from that troubled heart. We're trying to make some excuse, some reason, the problem that the darkness is out there and it's not within here. I see he was carnal in his response. He said it must be somebody's been spying on us. But then I thought about this. Look at, look at verse 12. The Bible says, And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Now that's interesting to me. One of the servants, he knew what was going on. The king of Syria did not know. And I can't explain everything taking place here. But would you not have thought that the king of Syria, when his servant says to him, Listen, king, there ain't no spies, there ain't no moles, but God is speaking to His man down in the land of Syria and God is sabotaging our plans, thwarting our strategy before we can ever go out. Wouldn't you think the reasonable thing would be to stop and say, you know, maybe God's dealing with me. You know, maybe God's trying to get my attention. You know, maybe God is trying to prevent me from doing something I should not do. But instead, you know what He does? He blows right past that and says, we'll go and get Him, we'll kill Him. You know what he is? He's not only carnal in his response, he's prideful in his response. So prideful that he can't admit that God is dealing with him. Ain't no telling how many people are sitting in hell this morning because they were too prideful to admit that God was dealing with them. Hey, listen, I got news for you. There ain't a single person born again part of the kingdom of God that God ain't dealt with. And there ain't a single person living with God, walking with God, serving God, in fellowship with God that God doesn't deal with on a daily basis. God deals with all of us. So go ahead and just swallow that pride. Uh, Go ahead and just get rid of that arrogance and that ego and admit if God's dealing with your heart. You see, because until you'll admit your blindness, you can never be made to see He wasn't willing to admit that he couldn't see what God could see and that God was dealing with him. He was prideful in his response. Then notice verse 14. The Bible says, Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and compassed the city about. Now that's interesting to me. Here's why it's interesting. Here's what he tells his servants. He says, Well, go spy him out. I want to fetch him. I don't know who he thinks Elisha is. I don't think, I don't know if he thought he was the incredible Hulk or what. But I would imagine that one old man of God down in Dothan would not warrant a full military push. Here's what he was doing. He was saying, I ain't going to fetch him. I'm going to kill him. And I'm going to kill anybody that's with him. And I'm going to do anything I have to do to silence that voice that is speaking of my inner sin. You know what he was? He was carnal in his response. He was prideful. And then because of both of those things, here's what he was. He was hostile in his response. 
I don't care what I have to do. I just want that. Elias should have just shut his mouth and quit telling my business. You know, very often what will happen in a person's life if they're not willing to get right with God, God ain't just going to quit talking about your sin to you. God ain't just... At least I know we live in a world today of safe spaces and empty brains and we live in a world today where nobody ought to ever have to be approached with anything that offends their uh, sensitive, uh, their delicate sensibility. I understand that. But can I tell you this? God ain't just going to hush because you're bothered by what He's saying. God is going to ring your bell until you either answer or push Him away. What happened? He said, I don't want nothing to do with that. And I've seen people do it. And you probably have too. It's a tragic thing. Unwilling to hear what God has to say. Pretty soon they turn hostile. They turn angry. They turn antagonistic and caustic. I've had people get mad at me before. I've had people come into the church house and I didn't have a clue what was going on in their life. I get up and preach something, say something. Listen, I, I say enough foolish things that aren't even spiritual to make people mad. Why do they get mad at the spiritual things I say? And get up and say something on the full authority of the Word of God and then say, that preacher's talking about me. And get mad and turn around and leave and walk out on God and walk away from what God's doing and walk away from God's hand and walk away from God's love in their life. Walk away from all those things. Well, what was it? They wanted the voice to hush. They didn't want to be told they was blind. They didn't want to be told that something was going on. He says, I, I'm going to kill Elisha if I have to, but he's not going to keep telling my business. Well, listen, you can do everything you can. but And the Holy Ghost don't tell your business to nobody, but He will tell it to you. And He ain't going to quit just because it makes you mad. He loves you too much to quit just because it makes you If you've ever raised kids, you know what that is. How many times you say things make your kids mad and it was the very thing they needed. And you wouldn't hush just because they got mad because they needed it. Why does God do that? Because He loves us. Because he cares about it. So I see the stubbornness of man's heart. He, he wouldn't acknowledge that the blindness was him and not somebody else. So what does God do? Well, God just fixes him on that and, and strikes him blind. Verse 18, somebody's going to say, well, preacher, we skipped over the glory part. Well, we'll get to it if we got time. Amen. Verse 18 says this, When they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. And Elisha said unto them, This is not the way. I like that, man. This is not the way. I said, This is not the way. This is not the way. When they could see, they thought they was going the route. But he says, This is not the way. He says, Neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you see. Isn't that interesting? He says that. Because really, they're looking for whoever knew their business. Elisha says, I ain't the one knows your business. But let me take you to the one that does. <laughs> I, I'll take you to the man whom you seek. I'll take you to the one you're looking for. But he led them to Samaria, the Bible says. And it came to pass when they were coming to Samaria that Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. Now the rest of this story does not go the way they anticipated. In fact, it's apparent that they had certain ideas about what was going to happen. And they were convinced of those ideas. They believed them with all their heart, Brother Ken. They were confirmed in what they thought was going to happen. They were also wrong. You know why? Because they were blind. You know, uh, the, what's the word I'm looking for? Resolve and confidence is not the measure of rightness. There are people that are absolutely a hundred percent convinced they are right when they are wrong. Hey, listen, I, I, I don't, listen, I don't know a lot of Baptists that ride up and down on a bicycle knocking on doors. Of course, we're all too fat from fried chicken is why, but 
Maybe you get us one of them rascals, we'd do it, you know. But the Mormons will do it. They're convinced. They are confirmed in their dogma. And they're absolutely wrong in what they believe. You think a Muslim would strap a bomb to themselves or their child, you think they're not convinced? They're convinced, but they're wrong. Well, what's the problem? Well, they're blind and they don't see that they're blind. Same way the lost person can live in wickedness and unrighteousness and think they're going the right way and the whole time be headed the wrong way. When I read this passage, I see the blindness of the human heart. Notice they were blind concerning three things, spiritually speaking. Number one, let me say this, they were blind concerning their footsteps. When they were marching down to Dothan, they thought we're going to go down here and we're going to whoop this old Elisha and then we're going to just keep on marching, go straight into the walls of Samaria and we're going to conquer that city. We're tired of this. We're tired of fooling with this. We're going to put an end to this once and for all. But they were wrong, weren't they? didn't turn out that way. The way they were going was not the way they thought they were going. Let me say it this way. They thought they were masters of their own destiny. But in fact, they were marching to an overwhelming defeat. They thought they had control of the situation. They thought they was going to go down there and whoop them and win the day and come back with great spoil. But in fact, they were just headed to utter destruction. Boy, what a picture, uh, really, of anyone living in sin, but of particularly the lost person today that will say, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to run my life. Nobody's going to rule my life. I'm the master of my own destiny. I choose of my own doing, and no one gets to tell me what to do. And yet, they think they're masters of their own destiny. But here's what they're doing. The book of Ephesians says they're walking according to the course of this world. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Uh, isn't it funny, man? You used to go down. We ain't got no mall no more. We got an Amazon. Amazon, I have never seen. You think I You think I just went crazy up here, but this does have to do with the message. Somebody stick with me. Remember when we had a mall? Amazon did not just figuratively replace our mall. They physically replaced our mall. They tore it to the ground and planted the Amazon flag right there where the old food court used to be. But I remember when there was a the mall and you used to go out and you'd see all the goth kids. You know what I'm talking about? The goth kids. I don't know if they still have them now or what there are now. I don't know where they hang out. They ain't got a mall to hang out at anymore. But they, uh, they, all the goth kids would hang out. They were creatures of nonconformity. Unwilling to buckle and bow to the expectations of those around them. And every single one of them was wearing the exact same shade of eyeliner. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do except all these people I run and hang out with. They're going to tell me what to do. Thought they as masters of their own destiny. You know, thankfully, eventually people grow up. I don't know. I guess they realize mascara is expensive or something. They quit doing it. I don't know. But they, uh, a lot of times they grow out of that. But you know, a lost person, they think they're just running their own life. But here, here's a little secret that the devil won't tell you. You ain't running your life. Nobody runs their own life. A man cannot serve two masters, the Bible says. He'll either, he'll either cling to one, hate the other, serve the one, and despise the other. But you know what a man also can't do? He also can't serve no masters. It's going to be God or mammon. It's going to be the Lord or it's going to be the devil. You do not have a choice in between those. It's going to be one or the other. They thought they had the day, man. They thought they were in control. But in fact, they were marching to an overwhelming defeat. They didn't realize they was heading the wrong direction. 
You know what it took? It took God blinding them, showing them that they could not see, that they did not know, that they were wrong and needed divine wisdom and guidance and light to get them headed in the right direction. And a lost person, and by the way, not just lost folks. Hey, I'm talking about church folks. Hey, I'm talking about not just church folks, there's a lot of lost church folks. I'm talking about saved folks. Even saved folks that know God indwelt by the Spirit of God when they let the arm of the flesh blind them uh, to God's uh, work in their life. They'll be headed the wrong direction. And it's almost like the, the harder they run at it, the more that they validate what they're doing. They'll be convinced, man, I'm headed in the right direction. Can I ask you, have you asked God about that? Have you checked on what God's Word says about that? You might think you're headed in the right direction, but be headed in the wrong direction. They were blind concerning their footsteps. Let me notice the second thing here. They were blind concerning their foe. I think it's interesting. Look at verse 21. Here they are standing in the middle of Samaria, right? And Samaritans got weapons drawn. And the king of Israel, listen to what he says. King Israel said unto Elisha when he saw them, My father, shall I smite them? Shall I smite them? I mean, he's excited, man. He's getting ready. I mean, he's sharpening his blade up. I mean, he's just chomping at the bit. He's going to kill every one of them. Look what it says. The answer, Thou shalt not smite them. Wouldst thou smite those whom thou hast taken captive with thy sword and with thy bow? Man, I love this. Look at this. Set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. I love this, man. You know, they were wrong concerning their footsteps because they thought they were masters of their own destiny, but really they were marching to an overwhelming defeat. They thought they were headed in the right direction, but the way they were going was going to end in ruin. But number two, they were wrong concerning their foe. They were blind concerning their foe. You know why? They thought he was an adversary, but he turned out to be an advocate. They thought that Elisha, he's the cause of all of our problems. Brother Kim, we just kill Elisha, all of our problems are going to go away. Boy, I bet they weren't singing that tune when they're standing in the middle of Samaria. There's only one person in that whole city that was willing to step up and say, uh-uh, I brought these men here. They are under my care, my vouchsafe, and you will not harm them. You're going to set them bread and water, and then you're going to turn them free. It's funny, man. I, I, and, and I'm not trying to be, listen, I'm not trying to be prideful. I'm not trying to be arrogant or ugly. But isn't it funny how we thought when we were lost. And if you're here today, I'm not poking fun at you, but I'm just saying this morning, if you're here and lost, if God opens your eyes, you're going to look back at the way that you thought about God and about the Word of God and the things of God, and you're going to say, how foolish was my, my perspective on things. I mean, there's people really sit around and think that God's greatest desire is to ruin their day. They think that what God's doing is just sitting up in heaven trying to find ways to ruin their life. And they see Him as a great adversary. But you know what they'll find? If God will blind their eyes, and what I mean is help them to acknowledge their blindness, if they will admit that they are wrong and they'll go to God's Word for the truth about who God is, you know what they'll find? They'll find He's not an adversary, friend. He's the only advocate you got. The Bible says we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. The Bible says there's one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The Bible tells us He ever liveth to make intercession uh, betwixt us and God. Job asked this question. He said, boy, I wish there was a daysman betwixt me and God. A daysman is a person, a mediator, an advocate. But listen, hey, Job couldn't see it, but now we see it in the full glorious light of Calvary that there is an advocate with the Father. And you think He's your adversary. When the truth is, Jesus is the only hope you got. You think He's trying to whoop you. Man, He's trying to save you. 
Uh, you, you Listen, child of God that's saved by the grace of God, you're mad because the Holy Ghost keeps telling you all about your business, but He's the only hope you've got to get your life right and not making shipwreck of it. You think He's an adversary, but He's the only advocate that you've got. So I, they were wrong concerning their foe. And then notice this, look at verse 23. We was about done. I, didn't, I thought it'd be 4 o'clock before we got done. We're doing good. Look at what it says, verse 23. The Bible says, and He prepared great provision for them. Man, I love that. He prepared great provision. I don't know what great provision is. I, I, I don't. I know this. <laughs> Elisha. Elisha reminds us of the Lord Jesus, right? Elisha says, set bread and water for him. I, I don't know what the definition of great provision is. Uh, but I tell you, for me, it wouldn't be bread and water. Somebody say amen. I don't. There better be some steak in there if you're going to call it great provision. If you want to say, I have got you stuff to keep you alive, that's fine. But if you're going to come, if God's going to say, I'm going to give you great provision, and I show up and it's rice cakes and water, I'm going to be upset. Great provision. You see, I think it was more than bread and water. I think it was more, you know, Jesus on the cross, He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what to do. What a blessed thing He forgave us. But didn't He do so much more? Didn't He do so much more than just forgive us? He didn't just give us great pardon, friend. He gave us great provision. He gave us all things through Jesus Christ. So you know what they found out? They were wrong, not only concerning their, their footsteps and their foe, but they found out they were wrong concerning their fears. Here's what they thought. Well, I'll read the rest of the verse. It says, When they had eaten and drunk, He sent them away, and they went to their masters, so the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. Isn't that amazing? You see, after their eyes were opened, after they could see things for what they were, it changed their future, didn't it? Uh, it says they came no more into the land of Israel. It changed the rest of their life. But you know what they found? They were wrong concerning, they were blind concerning their fears. They thought they would receive a swift death, but instead they received a spectacular deliverance. They thought if they ever caught themselves after 10 o'clock at night in the land of Samaria, there's a roasted duck. But you know what they found? They found that when God blinded them and Elisha led them all the way to that place, they found out it didn't end the way they thought. They thought they was going to take their heads off. Instead, they filled their bellies. They thought they was going to execute them. Instead, they pardoned them. You know what you'll find? That sin blinds us. And a lost man is blind already. They are blind in their iniquity. And even for a saved person that has had their eyes open to the truth, when we let sin in our life, sin will blind us. And the devil and sin will convince us that God is our greatest enemy, that if we come back to God, our life's going to be miserable, our life's going to be a mess, God's just going to be mad at us, and He's going to beat up on us, and He's going to knock us over the head, and we're going to have to spend the rest of our life making up for what we did, and paying for our crimes, and paying for what we've done, and ain't a lick of that anywhere in the Word of God. I don't find that my Bible tells me I need to pay. I find that my Bible tells me Jesus has already paid. Listen, when the prodigal comes home, the father don't say, all right, now start your probation. Now start your probation. You, you be a good servant six, seven years. We'll see how this works out. Instead, he says, kill the fatted calf. Bring me the best robe. Hey, bring me, the, bring me that ring that I've got. Hey, hey, bring me some good shoes. He's probably don't lock the soles off of his shoes out there in the wilderness of sin. Bring me some new shoes for him. And he grabs him and the Bible says he fell on him and he hugged him and he kissed him. 
Uh, this idea that God is going to put you on probation, put you in the doghouse if you come back in, uh, there ain't a shred of that anywhere in your Bible. You know what you'll find? If you'll, if you'll open your eyes to your, uh, to your condition and come to God, that means as a lost person to being lost, come to Christ, admit your lostness, ask Him to forgive you and save you based upon what He did on Calvary. If you're a saved person, it means admitting that what you've been doing is wrong and it's sin and asking God to put that under the blood and pardon you from it, forgive you of it, cleanse you of it. If you'll do that, I, listen, I know the flesh is telling you God's going to be mad at you, but He's going to rejoice with great rejoicing. Great rejoicing. So I find here the blindness of their heart. Now somebody's going to say, this is why I saved the glory part for the last. All right, Because I know you've done be mad at me by the time we got down here. So I need to do something to get you back in a good mood. What about that servant back there? We've seen the nakedness of man's life. The stubbornness of man's heart. The blindness of man's eye. This whole thing begins by God illustrating this truth greatly. Here is a servant. He can see physically, but he cannot see spiritually. He's got to first believe that what he sees is not all there is. There's more out there than what he sees. When he believes that, God's able to open his eyes so that he can see what's around him. I'm going to call it this, the blessings of spiritual sight. What does it do to a man's life when he admits he's blind? And God opens His eyes. Well, I see it does three things. One, look back at verse 15. We'll go back a little ways. Verse 15, When the servant of the man of God was risen early, gone forth, behold, an host come past the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not. Fear not. Now why did Elisha answer that? Because Elisha could see things that his servant could not. Once his servant could see those things, we don't find him worrying or fretting anymore about that. Can I say it this way? Hey, listen, when our eyes are open through the Word of God and yielding the Holy Spirit, you know what we can do? Number one, we can share in His peace. He said, fear not. I'm sure that servant looked at him and said, what do you mean, fear not? Do you not see that army down there? Elisha said, what are you talking about? Do you not see that army up there? We ain't got nothing to worry about. God's got this under control. Why are you worrying? Hey, listen, I'm not saying a person living right with God don't ever have moments of fear and anxiety. Everybody does. But I'm saying the remedy to that is to go to the Word of God and see what God's Word says about things. And you know what you'll find? You'll find that things are never, if spiritually speaking, they're never as bad as your flesh wants you to believe they are. I, I would say this, we can share in His peace. Number, number two, we can sense His presence. I like this. Look what he says. This is why for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Here's why, servant. I, I don't know what his name was. Elijah's servant was Gehazi. We're going to call him Gehazi. I don't know if that was his name or not. But he says, listen here, Gehazi. Here's why I'm not worried. Because there are more people out there on our side than there are out there against us. You know there's a New Testament equivalent to this verse? Usually there is. And listen to what the Bible says in 1 John 4. 4. The Bible says, You're of God, little children, and have overcome them. Now, he doesn't say greater is he that is out there on your side than he that is out there that is against you. It's not what he says, Ken. He says, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. See, here's the difference. That great spiritual force, and I'm not talking about angels, but I'm saying in the Old Testament, that great spiritual force of angels that was on the hillside, we got something better than that in the New Testament. We've got God Himself living on the inside. And you know what happens? Hey, listen, whenever we, whenever we see with spiritual sight, we can sense His presence. 
We can know that God is present. You ain't always going to feel like God is taking up all the real estate in your heart. I know that. But by the Word of God, you can understand that to be true regardless of how you feel if you're born again by the grace of God. We can sense His presence. And then finally, here's what we can do. We can see His power. We can see His power. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. I don't know if this, I, I don't, I doubt this. I don't know. You're going to have to study real hard, but I, I'd like to think Elisha looked at him and said, them's just the scouts. <laughs> they're just the ones that, they're, they're just the ones that carry the food. <laughs> That's not even the main force. That's just a little bit of what God's got. Hey, you remember whenever Christ was going to Calvary, he turned and looked at his disciples after Peter had that sword and he said, hey, listen, don't you know I could call 10,000 angels to come to my side if I wanted. I ain't short on forces. I ain't short on resources. I've got everything I need. Hey, you say, well, preacher, that's good for Jesus. But don't you know we've been made fellow heirs with God through Jesus Christ? The Bible calls us joint heirs with God through Jesus Christ. You know what you'll find? You'll find that if you take God at His Word and you read the Word of God and you see uh, things for how God sees them, you know what you'll find? Even things that the temporal eye cannot see, you'll see the power of God at work in your life and all around you in the lives of others. No telling how many things God's done for you and me that the carnal eye just looked past and didn't even see. But all the time, God had His work going on in our lives. I'd say this, we need to start seeing things the way God does. If you're lost here today, I'll tell you this, you're blind. You say, I think I can see fine, preacher. Well, go ahead and stay in your blindness then. But if you'll admit you're blind, here's what God can do. God can open your eyes. If you're here away from God, I'm talking about saved, but away from God this morning. You've been born again, you know you're saved, but you're away from God. And you say, preacher, I'm alright, I'm okay. Who are you? Who, what, what, what are you? Why would you think you can uh, say that? The Bible don't mean what you... Listen, if you want to do that, that's fine. You'll stay in your blindness. But if you'll be willing to accept what the Holy Ghost is saying to your heart and mind, you know what God will do? He'll, he'll rip that, that blindfold that sin puts on us right off and you can see things afresh and anew. And you know, you'll find this world ain't like what the world wants you to think it's like. You'll find that God is in control of this whole thing. I just, I've run out of time 40 minutes ago, but let me just say, if you're blind, don't stay in that blindness. Let Him open your eyes. Let's bow together as a musician comes to play. Father, I pray that you bless this invitation, that your people would listen to you. And Lord, that those that are not your people, that have never believed on you, never been born again, never been saved, I pray that today they would be. Lord, I, I know it ain't you're not the reason they won't be or haven't been. Lord, you're waiting. You love them. You died for them. Lord, they've got to come to you. And I pray that they do that. I pray they'd admit that blindness and come to you that they can be saved. Lord, bless this invitation. We ask it in Jesus' name. And with our heads bowed.